All right. So, uh, man, it was probably close to eight months ago that, that Josh and I first started saying, hey, we should, uh, we, should, uh, we should have the youth do worship. We should have the youth kind of get involved on a Sunday morning. And so we planned it. We, like, kind of randomly chose this date. I mean, not super randomly. We wanted to make sure that our students would actually be here, so not during the summer. But, you know, um, we'd, we'd, we'd just kind of set this date, and then uh, next thing I knew, it was upon us. And Josh said, hey, Joe, uh, you going to be preaching on, uh, on that Sunday? I was like, well, I guess I am. What are we, uh, what are we preaching about? And he said, well, we're, we're doing a series in Psalms. And so that, that's what we've been doing the last, uh, last several weeks. We've been, we've been in Psalms um, last, year, or last week. I think uh, it was Psalm 21. I'm not great with numbers. Uh, next week, it's going to be Psalm 2. That's a little easier for me. It's between 1 and 3. I get that one. Um, but yeah, uh, next next week is Psalm two. But we've been doing doing this series of Psalms today. It's gonna be um, it's gonna be Psalm forty four. Now, um, Psalms are kind of difficult for me. Um, like I read historical books of the Bible, and I like I get that. I'm like, oh yeah, this is how this is how the Israelites got where they were. Um, I read gospel, and I'm like, oh yeah, this is the, this is Jesus. Um, I understand I understand how these things are at play. I read like epistles, and I kind of get that. But but Psalms. They're a little difficult for me because when I, when I think of psalms, I think of, first of all, their songs, right? A lot of them start out with, like, like Psalm 44 starts out with, to the choir master. This is something that people sang together. And the stuff they're singing about is not what I sing about when I'm worshiping. <laughs> um, and we're going to see some of that in Psalm 44. We're going we're to see these emotions that are coming out that I'm like, man, in the songs that I sing, that's, it's just, it's foreign to me. And I, I... I'm kind of separated that from a little bit, but um, we're going to go ahead and get started reading here. Um, and, and as we go through this, uh, it, it's quite a bit of text, so we're going we're gonna to take it one step at a time. Uh, so, yeah, if you want to open up your Bibles, Psalm 44, I'm going to go ahead and read verses 1 through 3. To the choir master, a mass skill of the songs of Korah. O God, we have heard with our ears... Our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. You with your own hand drove out the nations, but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples, but them you set free. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them, but your right hand and your arm and the light of your face for you delighted in them. The psalmist, he starts out, he's addressing God, um, not just for himself, but on behalf of a community. Um, and it, it's a community of believers, and, they, and they, it says, we have heard with our ears. And they're hearing these stories that, that their ancestors are telling them. Um, it's, it's, uh, it reminds me of like story time, like children kind of eagerly listening to their parents about things that their parents have done. Um, and these stories, though, it's not, it's not, it's not tradition. Um, it's not like, like, it's not just like a bedtime story of like, oh, let's read about the little rainbow fish or whatever. No, these are stories of, um, these are eyewitness accounts of God's work in their parents' lives and in their ancestors' lives. Uh, this is, this is testimony that's been passed down from generation to generation that they're listening to. Um, and the testimony, it, 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 points to clear acts of God. Uh, it highlights God's 
unchanging care for his people. Uh, so we see that in, um, in verse 2, right? With your, with your own hand, you drove out the nations, but them you planted. Um, the ancestors, they were, they were planted there. Um, these, these experiences that their ancestors had, they were, they were in contrast to what the rest of the world was, seeing, was experiencing at the time, right? So they're sent into Canaan, into the promised land, and as they are driving out, um, they're driving out the Canaanites because they're being handed the promised land. They're, they're themselves are inheriting a home. Um, they're, they're given these, uh, these blessings by God that, that are, are testifying to God's power. Um, and their, their deliverance and their victories, they were, they were only possible through God. Uh, it, it, I think that a really good illustration of this, of what, what the stories that they were talking about would be um, in Exodus chapter 12, um, the 10th plague of, of, you know, we kind of all know the story of Moses. Um, the Israelites, they were, they were enslaved in Egypt, and Moses is told by God, go tell the Pharaoh, let my people go, right? They made the cartoon about it. Um, and they've got, God sends a series of plagues to to get the Pharaoh to let the Israelites be free. Um, and the 10th plague really highlights this because the 10th plague was, um, was the death of the firstborns. And the Israelites were told, hey, uh, put the blood of a lamb above your door, the Passover, and, and when, when this plague comes, it's going to pass over your door. And anyone who doesn't do this, they're going to basically lose their firstborn. And that's, that's what happened. And so this this uh, action that God is taking that is only something that God can do. It's, on one hand, bringing affliction to the, to the Egyptians. And on the other hand, it's bringing deliverance to, to the Israelites. Um, the Pharaoh, after that, he says, Moses, get your people and get out of here. And, and, and it's now them being, being, being told, they've got the backing of, of the Egyptian, of all the Egyptians, basically, get out of here. And it was this act that did that, um, and it was a clear act of God. Testimony is kind of difficult sometimes to receive. I think, I think we experience testimony, and we give our testimony to other people, and we're like, yeah, I feel great about it, because this was a thing that I did, that I experienced. But testimony, receiving testimony sometimes can be really difficult, um, especially like today in America, we're kind of raised to be skeptics a little bit. Um, you know, I remember growing up, it was always like big on critical thinking, and now throughout throughout the world on on um, news and social media and everything, I'm seeing this uh, this trend of like, oh, make sure it's a good source, right? And so when when we're when we're met with someone's testimony, we kind of say, well, do I really believe that? And I find myself when I'm receiving testimony from someone else, a lot of times I'm doing that, right? I'm like. Well, do I believe you? Are you a good source? Um, the psalmist here in Psalm 44, that's not him at all. Um, they, they're not skeptics. They don't think this is coincidence. They don't think that it's their ancestors were crazy. They say, no, this was an act of God. And when he writes it down here in this psalm, he says, I'm hearing this. It's not just, it's just, it's not just a recital. It's not just saying, yeah, my parents told me about this. 
but it's, it's, a, it's an affirmation. My parents, my parents told me about this, and I believe. I believe that this is true. Um, God, we believe that we've, what, we've, uh, what we've heard about you. You're a God of deliverance. You're a God of victory. And you're a God who provides and cares for his people. That's, that's what they're reaffirming in, in, this, uh, in this testimony of their parents. So we get to uh, verse 4. You are my king, O God. Ordain salvation for Jacob. Through you we push down our foes. Through your name we tread down those who rise up against us. For not in my bow do I trust, nor my sword can save me. But you have saved us from our foes and have put to shame those who hate us. In God we have boasted continually, and we will give thanks to your name forever. In verse 4, the perspective, um, the perspective changes a little bit. It's no longer a second-hand account of God's works. But instead, it's a close, a close personal account, right? So they reaffirm the testimony of their ancestors, and then he says, You are my king, O God. Now, presently, you were, you were king then with my ancestors. You were sovereign, and you're, you, you moved in their lives, and you're my, you're my king today. Ordain salvation for Jacob. And I love that. Um, some, some translations, they say, uh, they say decree victory. This idea of God is in command, and what he commands becomes true. And, and also, I'm not in command, right? So if I say, hey, go out and, and win, I have no control over that happening at all. I have no influence over that happening. But when God says, go out and win, there's a victory. And so that's what, that's what he calls on God right here. He says, ordain salvation for Jacob. Decree victory. The congregation at this time, in this, uh, in this place in Psalm 44... There are people that they need salvation. They are, um, they're just in, the, in this place in their lives where they have, um, they're, what they're experiencing, right? They, they have to have divine intervention, basically. They need a divine act, clear deliverance from God, um, what the kind of the kind of act that their that their ancestors experienced? Their ancestors, in uh, in verse two or three, I think it was, they say, or verse three, their swords didn't save them, their arms didn't save them, right? And then we see that same uh, that same trend when they're talking in the present. My sword didn't save me. I can't trust in my bow. I need, I need a clear act of deliverance from God. And the deliverance, it's, it's not just something that they've heard about either. It's something that they've experienced in verse 7. But you have saved us from our foes, and you have put to shame those who hate us. They're in this place where they've heard about, what God, they've heard about God's deliverance. In the past, they've experienced God's deliverance, and now they're calling on God's deliverance again. In God, we have boasted continually... 
and we will give thanks to your name forever. This is, um, this is an area where I think that the psalmist could have like stopped here and he could have had a beautiful piece of work, right? We've heard what our ancestors said and we believed that and we've experienced God reaching out and saving us as well and now we're calling on God to save us and we will praise his name forever beautiful piece of work. Uh, the psalmist doesn't do that. And we're going to see there's going to be a little bit of a change of tone. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read uh, verses, verses 9 through 22. It's going to be a little bit of text here. But you have rejected us and disgraced us and have not gone out with our armies. You have made us turn back from the foe, and those who hate us have gotten spoil. You have made us like sheep for the slaughter, and have scattered us among the nations. You have sold your people for a trifle, demanding no high price for them. You have made us the taunt of our neighbors, the derision and scorn of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations, a laughingstock among the peoples. All day long, my disgrace is before me, and shame has covered my face. At the sound of the taunter and the reveler, at the sight of the enemy and the avenger. All this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you, and we have not been false to your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way. Yet you have broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten your name, uh, the name of our God, or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Yet for your sake we are all killed, or we are killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Takes a turn. (laughs) Takes a real sharp turn. From verse 8 to verse 9. In God we have boasted continually, and we will give thanks to your name forever. But. But you have rejected us, and you have disgraced us. See, the psalmist here, and this this is actually one of the things that really stood out to me about this psalm. One of the reasons that I was drawn to this psalm is the psalmist here, um, he approaches God in a way that I don't, I don't know how uh, that I would approach God this way. <laughs> um, he bring he brings to God sort of sort of his whole person and really their, their community, their whole their whole community before them, what they're feeling in this, and he, he approaches God with a, with a level of integrity that is um, it's kind of astounding to me. They say, "Man, we've." We know that you've saved other people. We've seen that. We've seen you save us. But you're not saving us now. Why aren't you saving us now? Right? You've rejected us. You've sold us out. And I I think that a lot of times we feel those things and we don't present them to God. And just kind of to reiterate just like what this presentation looks like. Remember, this starts out with to the choir master. (laughs) 
This is a song. This is something that in a community they sang together in a choir. God, you've rejected us. You've sold us out. You've, you've made us sheep for the slaughter. That's why psalms are difficult for me, because I don't, I don't understand that type of worship. <laughs> um, but I definitely, I can see it here, and I appreciate it. And I think that there is something beautiful about presenting your whole self like that and laying that down before God. So the community, they're frustrated, obviously. Um, for some reason, God isn't saving them this time. They've sent out their armies, and in the past they've sent out their armies and God brought them victory, and this time they send out their armies and they're met with defeat. They've been slaughtered and scattered and taunted and mocked. And they're looking to God and God's not saying much to them. <laughs> um, and so they're basically asking God, why do you allow your people to suffer? That's kind, of, that's kind of what this sums up. God, why do you allow your people to suffer? Um, and that's, that's a big topic, by the way. <laughs> uh, it's something that books have been written about, both from a Christian perspective, from a secular perspective, other religions, entire like volumes have been written about this. Why would God allow his people to suffer? So we're going um, to use this to kind of talk a little bit about suffering. Um, very happy topic, um, but kind of getting into it, um, there's, there's reasons that people suffer, and I think we know that. I think that we know that, like, people suffer for reasons, at least part of the time, right? Um, suffering for consequence, right? We do, we do something dumb. If I go out and I do something dumb, and I find myself in a place of suffering, we get that, right? You did the bad thing, you got caught, now you're suffering for it. And we get that. Um, there's other types of suffering that we just don't understand and we don't get, and we struggle with those. I had a friend when I was in grade school, and um, her name was Rachel. I, I don't know that you would, like, friend is probably a weird description, we had kind of an odd relationship where we would hang out and we would talk about things. Uh, I don't think that we had anything in common at all. Um, but we spent a decent amount of, amount of time just discussing things. Uh, and, like, our commonality, it, religious, religious perspective, we didn't have common ground there either. Um, I've grown up in the church and I've always been a pretty, you know, pretty devout Christian. She is a very passionate atheist. And, like, not only is she just, is she of the opinion of, like, God doesn't exist, but she thinks that religion is harmful, and particularly Christianity is harmful. And one day she gave me her testimony. And for me, it was one of the hardest testimonies that I've ever received. Um, Rachel grew up in a Christian home. She had loving Christian parents. Her family, they went to church regularly, right? So she, was, she had a community that she went to. She considered herself a Christian. Um, and when she was, I think she was in elementary school, maybe it was middle school at the time, uh, her father passed away. And um, losing someone, I think it's, it's, it's always tough. Especially when you're talking about a parent or a child 
or spouse or someone that's in your immediate family like that, that's very difficult. And especially when you're talking about someone who is a child, not understanding that and, and not having coped with things like that before. Um, so for her to lose her dad, she put her in a place where obviously it's very difficult. She's very vulnerable. And so she turned to her church community and um, her pastor and other members of her community basically told her, they basically said, why, uh, why, did you, why did you kill your father? What sin did you do that brought your father death? <laughs> um, and that's, that's how her church approached this. They said, well, bad things happen to people as a result of consequence for bad things that they did. That was their only solution for suffering. And, uh, man, breaks my heart <laughs> that someone would go to the church and not see Christ in that. And that's the answer that they're given. So Rachel asked God, why do you allow your people to suffer? And that's the answer she was given. Now, in the Bible, there is a very clear connection between um, unfaithfulness and suffering, this consequence suffering that we see. Um, and we see it especially, I think, I think it's especially common in the Old Testament where when the Israelites are being good and they're doing things right, they're met with blessing. And when they're doing things wrong and they're not being faithful, they're met with defeat. Um, perfect example of this, I think, comes from Joshua chapter 6. Uh, they're invading Canaan, and they come across Jericho, and they're faithful to God, and they are obedient to how God says, hey, this is how you need to approach this, even though it doesn't make a lot of sense. And they do that, and they have a major victory at Jericho. And then we get into Joshua chapter 7. The next place, it says basically they left Jericho, and they go to Ai, and in I, they're defeated, and the reason they're defeated is because they weren't faithful to God. So there is a connection there, but it's not the rule. It's not, it's not the, the thing that says this is always suffering. This is always why it happens. And our theology and our faith, it needs to have a place for suffering that happens outside of that. It's also important to note that in Psalm 44 here, um, the people aren't suffering because they're not faithful. Uh, it says in verses 17 and 18 here, it says, All this had come upon us, though we had not forgotten you, and we have not been false to you or your covenant. Our heart has, been turned, uh, has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way. So they're following God. They're saying, man, I'm being faithful. My, my ancestors, they told me about how when they weren't faithful, you, you caused them, them uh, suffering. And when they were being faithful, you blessed them. We're being faithful. Where's our blessings? Some other type of suffering happening here. Another type of suffering that I think that we kind of get, some of the time at least we grasp it, is when we're suffering because we're obedient. Um, in, uh, in Acts chapter 16, 
Paul and Silas, they're, they're doing God's, God's work, and um, there's a woman there, and she's possessed by, or she has a spirit with her that, that uh, she's a slave, by the way, but she's got this spirit that allows her to say things that are happening in the future, pretty much, and Paul, he expels the spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. This is in Acts chapter 16. He expels the spirit in the name of Jesus Christ, and the spirit's gone. Well, her slave owners got very upset about that because they missed out on money. It took away a, a source of income for them. And so they have Paul and Silas arrested and beaten and thrown in prison. And I think we can look at that when we say, man, Paul and Silas, that sucks, they're suffering. They, they were arrested and beaten and thrown in prison, but they, they're, they're experiencing that because of their obedience to God. And I think that we, I think that we get that. You know, um, again, this isn't, this isn't the type of suffering that they're experiencing here in Psalm 44. It's not, it's not attached to their faithfulness. It's not attached to their obedience. They just seem to be suffering because God wants them to suffer. Sorry, my notes are all over the place right now. <laughs> What's more is that in, in this psalm, they're in a really difficult place because they don't even see how this is glorifying God. And that's another side, too. I think that if we can see, if we can see, like, man, I'm not having a great time, but God's kingdom is being furthered. I think we could kind of live with it a little bit better. It's not what's happening here. In, uh, in verse 12, it says, You sold your people for a trifle, demanding no high price for them. God, you've sold us, and you're not even benefiting from this. Being in a place where, uh, where you see these... these this pain that's taking place, and you, you don't see why it's happening. You don't see the benefit behind it. A lot of times this is really where, this is really where the world starts chiming in. Um, right? Because the world, they also understand consequence. The world's like, yeah, you did bad things. Bad happened, right? They, 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 they understand that. On some level, they understand suffering for a cause, but the world, whenever, whenever Christians are in this place of, whoa, I'm suffering, I, I'm, 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 I'm innocent and I'm suffering, they say, whoa, hey there, that's not right, right? This is unjust. A good God would never allow his, his innocent people, his innocent followers to suffer. That's not what a good God does. But here's the the, the crux of the problem right here is that that is exactly what our good God did. God allows suffering. We don't always see the reasoning behind it. But I do know that as Christians we follow Jesus Christ who was the innocent sufferer. There's only one person that's ever been innocent in this world who ever deserved 
anything good, and that's Jesus Christ. And he took on, man, when we didn't deserve, like, one thing we don't deserve is victory. Same, same thing as we see in Psalm 44. My, my bow, I can't trust in it. Not going to do it. Only God's going to bring me here. My sword, it's not going to do it. Only God's going to bring me here. That's, really, that's our salvation. Can't save myself. And what's more than that is that because I've sinned, and because I've done things wrong, Jesus Christ, an innocent man, who's also God, he, he, God takes himself, he, he, he takes the form of a man, and he says, man, I am going to, I'm going to suffer for you. We go to God and we say, man, why would you allow me, an innocent man, to suffer, right? And it's, uh, it's, 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 so, it's so backwards. <laughs> um, what's more is, is I look at the things that Jesus experienced when he was suffering for our sins. And I look at him, and I, when I'm reading Psalm 44, 9 through 16, but you have rejected us and disgraced us. Man, Jesus, he was rejected. He was disgraced. You made us like sheep to the slaughter. You sold your people for a trifle, right? 30 pieces of silver. It's not a lot. <laughs> you made us the taunt of our neighbors, the derision and scorn of those around us. You made us a byword among the nations. These are all things that, in Psalm 44, they're crying out, Man, God, this suffering, these are the things that we're experiencing. Why is this happening? And this is stuff that, that Jesus Christ voluntarily took upon himself. He said, I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be scorned. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be a lamb for the slaughter. And he didn't, he didn't deserve that, right? So the world, they say, man, what's this unjustness? But they don't see this other side. They don't see this injustice that, that took place because of what we did as part of the world. The kind of light, the silver lining, so to speak, is that, um, like I said, I don't know always why we suffer, but I can tell you this. When we do suffer as Christians, we're identifying with Jesus Christ on that cross. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12, 13 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Don't always know why it's happening, but I know that I can identify with Christ in that and that when I, when I do suffer, I can identify in the cross and in the grace that God has for us as well. I'm going to read this last, uh, last few verses of chapter 44. Uh, starts at verse 23. Awake! Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. When do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. Something else to remember when we're suffering, our identity and our, um, 
our suffering with Christ, but also is that God is a God of his word. And I love when I see stuff like this where we say, man, God, this is what you've said. This is what you said is true. This is the promises that you've made. And I believe you in that. So come, make those promises. Let me experience those things. And I think there's something positive and something healthy about that sort of relationship with God where we can say, you know, again, presenting yourself with integrity. We can present ourselves with integrity and we can say, this is where I'm at. And I don't think that there's harm in asking God, where are you? And saying, bring these things to me. Give me your promises. Act on those things. Um, and that's, that's, kind of, that's kind of where Psalm 44, where they, where they bring it to. Um, that's, that's where the, the people in, that, in this song of worship, that's where they, the, the place that they're brought to is they know, remember, they know they've heard about who God is. They've experienced God's deliverance, and they know that God's deliverance is coming. And so they're just, in, they're just in this time of waiting for that to take place. All right, let's, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, I thank you for this opportunity to speak to our, our community here at Northside. I thank you for this opportunity that we've had to get uh, our youth involved. And, um, you know, instead of hiding in the back, people can actually see their faces a little bit. Uh, I pray that as we go from here, that when... When we experience these places where, where, where there's uncertainty and where we say, man, there's some sort of injustice happening, there's something that's going on that's not right, that we can take confidence that we are your children, that when we're suffering, we can, we can be glad that we had Jesus Christ to suffer for us and that we can identify with him in that and that we can look forward to the coming glory for that as well. So um, I pray that as we leave this week that, that you'll, you'll keep us healthy, keep us safe, help us to stay focused on you as the hustle and bustle of things take place and we're kind of getting into um, our fall routine that's coming up. Thank you for all this. Yeah. Amen.